You've been lounging, lounging with Skipper. <laughs> You've been lounging, lounging with Skipper. Yo, yo, yo. I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Lounging with Skip, episode 25. A new year, a new beginning, a new way of thinking, embarking on new journeys. Um, Of course, for those that know, this episode or this podcast is about those that are, you know, me interviewing people that are set upon their journeys and their missions in life and to hear their backstories and to um, them becoming successful, if not on their way to being successful. So today, this is, you know, this is a long time coming, you know yes, what I'm sir. saying? Yes, um, I've known this man since 1992, um, and it stemmed from music, you know what I'm saying, and, 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 and just the love of music, the love of hip-hop, and um, this man has came a long way, been very successful. Um, has platinum plaques under his belt, um, and you know he's a music producer, a songwriter. You know what I'm saying I want to welcome you all to the episode, to the to the to the podcast, and I want to <laughs> welcome Sham. Up yo, the spot. yo, Sham yo. of the other group, other production duo, uh, 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 Track Stars, formerly known as Track, Track Stars. Stars, yeah, Stella now. Okay, okay. What's going, what's up, buddy? <laughs> what's going on, man? Happy How you New doing? Year to you. Happy New Year to you, brother. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I want to break down your beginnings of, um, you know, how it was for you coming up. You know, uh, where, where are you from? You know what I mean? Uh, okay. You know, uh, uh, and how was it as a kid for you and what sparked your interest in music? Uh, you know, I'm uh, originally from St. Louis, Missouri, born and raised. Um, my journey with music started at a very young age. You know, uh, my dad uh, has always been into music. You know, saying he played and you know sung in the choir, and uh, you know he had me playing the drums in the in church when I was little. And my uncle, uh, who's his brother Med, uh, plays in the jazz band, and uh, he's been you know doing that for a very long time. So I come from a family of you know just music, and I was always around it, and I was always intrigued with it. You know, even when I was in elementary school, like. I would get in trouble for beating on the desk. What grade know. school did you go to? Uh, Keevan Elementary. So, okay. Yeah, okay. and uh, I would get in trouble for beating on the desk. You know, as a matter of fact, I still run into people to this day, and they'd be like, yo, you used to get in trouble for beating on the desk. Like, mm. it paid off. Mm. So I've always just just had it in me. Just, you know, mm. uh, it's kind of unexplainable. It was just the force that I just was always intrigued in. Okay. Yeah. Um. So were you ever, like, playing any type of instruments, <clears throat> or was more so just an instrument? I mean, a... Uh, um, just the interest of yours naturally uh, with music. What, what, what's one of the first uh, songs that you can remember as a kid that that still sticks to you to this day? Oh man, that's a that's a that's a good one. Uh, I, I would have to say, um, for me, it was more of the. It, it had to be the Temptations. Mm, you know what song? Uh, it was a. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was a. Uh, uh, and if I ever stop. Uh, uh, Nobody knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Nobody. Yeah. So I remember I would. He used to. My old dude. We used to always play that record, mm. and I would hear it. You know, saying like the Temptations is dope. Mm. You know, saying so from hearing the Temptations, just and just being around that music. You know, uh, you know, in the seventies and eighties. You know, saying just that's what really inspired me to really want to do music. It was really the eighties that really inspired me. Mm. But that was kind of some of the first things I was hearing as a kid. 
that just made me gravitate towards the instrumentation and the, the songwriting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So your first, do you remember your first hip hop record that you ever heard that you was like, wow? Uh, I would have to say, uh, it had to be Rakim. Uh, mm, really? Yeah. That was your first. Check out my melody. That was your first hip hop <laughs> record that you heard. You was like. Check 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 out my melody. Okay. Check out okay. my check out. Like when I heard that Rakim record, like, like he was so ahead of his time spitting. Like, I'm gonna tell you a funny story real quick. I had a friend of mine that was doing music. He was like a he was an up and coming DJ and a rapper back then. And he actually told me it was him. He like he was like, "This me. This my new stuff." I'm like, "Yo, like this this can't be you." And then he finally came. He's like, "I'm just playing with you." It's this artist Rakim. <laughs> and I'm like, "Man, this is crazy." And then he he kind of put me like. On the check on my melody, that whole Rakim movement, and then from just hearing him because he was so ahead of his time, mm. just made me want to get into the art of writing and how he was just mm. how he put his word together in his wordplay. So it had to be check on my melody. Okay, so that was when you still you started rapping. Um, I, I want to say that was one of the songs that like really intrigued me. But before that, even before that, because I would hear rap, you mm. know, what I'm saying music. So I knew the culture and the art of it, but so like Fat Boys and things, like Fat that. Boys and stuff like that. Like... But but that was one of the songs that really hit me to check okay. out my melody record. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that that really took me there, you know, and um, you know made me really wanted to get into my wordplay and like really take the art of rapping serious. Okay, yeah. okay. So this is around like '88. Yeah, 88, 87, Seven, somewhere around yeah. there. So you know, LL Cool J, you got Rakim going, um, Public Enemy. Yeah. So it was like at that particular point in time, us as listeners of lovers of hip hop, the beginnings of it, um, we were just succumbed by all this fresh music coming in, and by us being from the Midwest, we were getting it all from both sides. Yeah. From Rakim to New York to NWA to West Coast. Yeah. And everything in between. Mm -hmm. So that's what, you know, sparks off the whole sound of St. Louis and what, you know, intrigues us and what keeps us going making music that can can somewhat transcend across the boundary of, of the landscape of the country. Yes. Because we're in the in the middle of it all. Mm -hmm. Um so what do you remember like around when the first time when you wrote your first rap? Like what sparked you to say, you know what, I wanna rap? Um because I met you in 92. So yeah. before that, you was already, I mean, with the whole Buck Bam, you know, Buck, <laughs> him, down, buck him Down Shorty. So he had he had this he had this song, what was it called? Buck Him Down it Shorty was, or was, Buck uh, Shorty? I think they just called it Buck Bam. Yeah, it was a song. Buck Bam. Yeah, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so, so, okay. So in like 91, 92, it was a guy by the name of KP that came to Hayeswood Central. Mm -hmm. Um... And he was walking around school, had his Letterman jacket on, his Lafayette Letterman jacket. You're like, who is this dude? And he's just like spitting raps and this, that, and the third. And so, you know, I gravitated towards him because I was like, man, he, he has no no type of barrier about himself as far as letting people know that he raps. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And to me, I thought that was dope. So me and him became cool. And then the process of that, because now we're at Hayeswood Central. Um, and that's why I met Sham, because Sham was hanging with KP. And they, well, before that, uh, KP was in a group called Northside Coalition. Yeah. And during that time, that was when, so what, how'd you, how were you introduced to KP and, you know, to kind of form, to begin that collective back then, that time period? Okay, well, you know, um, 
at the time before I met KP, you know, uh, I had a reputation as far as the music and the producing as well too. Uh, it's funny too because I remember even like cats that's like old enough to understand this. Like it was the Source magazine when they had the one punch sampler. Mm-hmm. You have to order it off the back. So mm-hmm. you know, I ordered that. So I was chopping up samples and loops. So. It was one of them things where, like, you know, KP was doing his thing. Now, now, this was in 92. Yeah, this was around that time. Okay. Yeah, so KP was doing his thing, and then I had a reputation, because that's when I first started getting into, mm. you know, producing and sampling and stuff as well. So, uh, you know, word just got to traveling that, you know, hey, you know, Sham do beats, and they do stuff. You need to introduce yourself to him, and, you know, such, such, such. Mm. So, to make a long story on that, you know, uh, short, we just introduced ourselves and... Uh, he was like, I heard you do beats and such and such. Mm-hmm. I rap and I rhyme. And I was like, you know, let me hear something you got. So mm-hmm. he rapped for me. I spit some for him. And then, you know, we just hit it off from there. Mm-hmm. And um, we just, it's it, it funny too, because we were battling too at mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was kind of like he want, it was like I wanted to do the group thing, but mm-hmm. it was still that competitive edge. Mm-hmm. So we would battle. And then the whole battling thing turned into the group effort. Mm-hmm. And then from there, he introduced me to, you know, No No Cornell. Mm-hmm. And then that's how we formed the group. Okay. It just kind of came together. Right, because I remember before that, it was also, I think, KP had his cousin a part of the group, too, as well. I forgot his Cradell. name. Cradell. Yeah, yeah, Cradell. Yeah. They were all part of the group. Um, so around this time, um, by me knowing KP, and I was like, yo, you know what I'm saying, this cat's dope. And I, I, got, a, I got a homeboy by the name of C Natural. And so the fellas, they were looking for a place to record. And me, you know, just in my life, I've always been that person to kind of be the the plug so to speak like you know hook this up hook this person up with this person to connect that and so um i was i told cnat about the group Northside coalition and uh he was like yeah well you know i, I can record them so i didn't i never forget i never i never forget that um i didn't know you all were recording <laughs> and then one day i think kp had like played something over the phone and i was like where'd y'all do that he was like we, we went over cnat crib Mm-hmm. I was like, what? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I remember listening to it like, man, this stuff is dope. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this was back in like 92, 93. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, so I think at that particular time, it was as if, okay, you know, it was like, it was like niggas knew that I was recording. I knew they was recording and it was just like, okay, this, but it was like kind of a competitiveness, but in the same, yeah. COVID, <laughs> the same time we had the same producer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that that kind of went on, and, and I, you know, looking back on it, it was dope. So, uh, what led to the change? Because for those that don't know, they they went on to form the group Out of Order, mm-hmm. um, which later on, what was that? Ninety nine. That was later on. That was later on. Yeah. Okay. That time. Yeah. What what sparked the change uh, between Northside Coalition to the name Out of Order? Okay. Well, one thing that was was that was very unique about us, even at a young age, you know, and this this goes to a lot of the younger guys listening, you know. Um, we was we we were always into branding, and what is it could we do as a group that could separate us from everybody that was out at the time? So we thought North Northside Coalition, like this is kind of you know local sounding, you know, uh, even like when we were like we were called Guns Shorties when everybody mm-hmm. was calling them Gats, mm-hmm. yeah, Buckham Shorty, Buckham Shorty, yeah, yeah. We, we, we would come up with our own slang and our yeah. own you know lingo. So we mm-hmm. we were we were very big on separating ourselves so we all met one day and was like this Northside Coalition too local mm. it just sounded like some gang neighborhood stuff mm. so what can we do to make it more universal mm. and that's what you know And we I remember we voted one day we had a bunch of names and out of order mm. stuck out the most to us and we felt that that name was Who more came up with universal it was actually me and KP okay me and KP came up with the name and then you know uh, No No came in and you know he heard and it was like yeah that's dope and he agreed with it and we all shook hands on it and mm. that's 
what's the birth of Out of Order? I remember it was because uh, at the time I remember you all using the word shorty, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I remember it was a song I did, and I said. Uh, had the shorty out the window, you know. Yeah. What I mean? And just looking back on that, it was like, damn. So y'all came up with that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I thought that was dope. The fact that that name was being used to where I even use it in one of my lives. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, it's crazy. And yeah, and that was like '93, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um. So now, around '94, I remember. Um, you know, coming over to the crib, and this was around the time when Boogie Monsters and all that yep. was coming out. And I remember um, just coming, you know, what I'm saying being in the back room, and it was that little sampler you had, mm-hmm. the black joint, the black sampler that he was saying he was talking about where he's punching. Push button. Yeah, and I remember he had had this uh, this loop playing, and uh, I remember it was like an old, it was like a 1970s or late 60s sample, but it was loop and it had a break beat to it. And I thought that was so dope. To this very day, <laughs> that beat for me inspired me. You know what I'm saying? It was like, damn, this, you know, what I'm saying this cat, he he did this. You know what I'm saying? He made, he put this together, and this is my flavor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what kind of sparked me to be like to to honestly want to say, you know what? I wanna I wanna put something together like this. But I didn't know. I didn't have the tools. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, the tools weren't accessible to me to be able to to do that at the time, so I just kind of focused on, you know, what I'm saying creating the raps. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's where basically we ended up getting tight because it was like, okay, he got the, you know, he had had the Boogie Monsters record going, and we're back here freestyling and mm-hmm. the, you know what I mean? So it was like the little things like that, and I always knew, I always felt that you had an appreciation for the music that I was creating. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like as if. No matter what, this man Sham always bobs his head, you know what I'm saying, to the music. And with that, it was like, you know, it's, it's certain people where you, when you make music, that you feel they really appreciate what it is you do. And to where they kind of give their undivided attention to what it is you're, you're, you're creating. And that's one thing about you that I always remember and that, st- that still st- stands out to me is that you always show an appreciation for the moment of listening to the music. You know how sometimes you can play a song for yeah. like, check out this song, man. And then the person's listening, and then the phone rings, then they go in the back, <laughs> yeah. and they make something to eat, and they doing something. This man always gave his undivided attention, and it, it became, it, it, it was to a point where it was like, this is a sit-down moment of like, like a listening session. You know what I mean? So that was always dope to me. Um, so as time went on, what around the time, around what year was the actual group Out of Order formed? Was that um, like? I want to say it had to be around ninety eight, ninety nine, because when we got with PD Wax Records, remember the name of the album was the Era of Triple Osis, and that was the whole two thousand explosion. How did you all get with um, PD Wax? Okay, um, because at that particular time in St. Louis, you know, it was only it wasn't that many guys out that were like signing to like labels and local labels and things like that. So it was as if. When something like that happened, it was like people were hearing about PD Wax, um, or starting to hear about PD Wax, and then boom, you all just are signed to them, and you know what I'm saying, started getting these records out. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, so how did you end up meeting up with uh, PD Wax, and what made you all sign with PD Wax? Okay, so when we decided to get together as out of order, you know, we you know we decided that we wanted to start taking it more serious, you know, step it up a little bit. And you know we 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 you know we we four cats broke you know saying we ain't got no money so like we are we like yo we need an investor 
or we need to sign with a label or something. At the time, in St. Louis, it was a few labels that was making noise that was doing things. It was like, uh, you remember the names of them? It was like, uh, it was PD Wax, like uh, VIP Records with Spud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you Was had there a label named Honeycomb? Honeycomb Records. You yeah. had Sub-Zero, Big Mo. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of different factions that was that were around doing their thing at the time. So Because everybody was seeing how um, the Lunatics was having. What's the song they had uh, been trying to write? Run Rhymes for years. years. Right. We so got that song it, was yeah. really popping off. Yeah. And just from early experiences of... Of hearing St. Louis artists as far as with um, Silk Smooth, Silk, yeah. you know what I mean. So it was as if okay, let's you know let's 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 do more to to, to put St. Louis on the map, right? Um, yeah. So then okay, and I'm glad you actually brought up Silk Smooth because mm -hmm. he was one of the people that really made us start taking it serious. Like mm -hmm. okay, this dude got a deal, yeah. So we got to like really step our game up. So right around that time, you know, uh, PD Wax to me had the most uh, they had the most activity at the time. You know, because uh, to me, for a label, especially back then, they had commercials on MTV and mm. BET. They had, a, uh, they, they had, it was a guy named Alfie and another guy. I forget the name of the group, but it was a group signed with PDY at the time. And they was making noise. You know, mm. they had, uh, they had Be Legit from, you know, uh, they had these features on the record. So we like, damn, these these guys, you know, they, they got some money. So that sounds like somebody we, you know, can get with, you know, you know, merge our talents with and make it happen. So. Mm. What we would do is we would go up to Street Side Records. Mm -hmm. uh, Street Side Records was like the the popular thing here in the Lou back in yeah. the days. Anybody know that? Yeah. So what we would do is we would go up to Street Side and we would buy CDs and buy tapes and we would uh, go in the back of the CD and take the number, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm saying and call mm -hmm. the record labels. Mm -hmm. So we went into the Street Side one day and we we seen the PD Wax Records mm -hmm. tape in there. Mm -hmm. So we bought the tape and uh, you know we went in the back and took the number out and something nowadays yeah. these kids and like these millennials have, <laughs> have no idea no about idea. the work the effort of putting something in like that. Okay. Yeah. So so basically uh, we went in there and you know uh, uh, seen the uh, seen the, uh, the tape and we bought it went to the crib took it out you know got all the numbers and the uh, information that was in there. And the very next day, we was like, you know, we was all scared. I remember, like, like we going to call, you know what I'm saying, to see if they answer. So we called and somebody answered. And what's funny, the person that answered was the owner, which was Prim, mm. who owned PD Wax Records. He was like, PD Wax Records, may I help you? And, you know, I'm on the phone shaking, like, yo, like, we this group out of order. And, you know, can we come audition for y'all? Or can we such, such, such? So I never forget, man. It was hot as hell. It was like... It had to be like well over 100 degrees that day and we didn't have a ride mm. so i looked at kp i'm like yo like if we gonna do this and we serious we gotta walk mm. so we end up walking a long ass way like it was it was from from florison yeah from florison to the pd wax record was like was in bell fountain somewhere at the time mm. so it was a nice walk so um we had we walked we walked up and uh we met him mm. and uh we spit for him you mm. know what i'm saying he was like damn y'all cold and from there he was like you know take my number down meet me at the office tomorrow such 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 and it just the rest became history, you know. Mm -hmm. He uh, felt what we was doing and believed in, in our music, mm -hmm. and it just happened, you know. So yeah, mm. yeah. So the the effort being put into something like that. Now let's just say you all, you know, was like, man, it's too hot outside, man. You know, what I'm saying we're <laughs> finna go. Then you never know; it may not have happened. So the rule of thumb here is that you have to be able to put in the effort to be able to receive um, the, the the prize at the end of the. Um, at the, at the end of the tunnel you have to put in the work you have to put in the effort and you have to not be afraid or fearful of success and that's what how it was for you when you called you said you were nervous but you called anyway <laughs> yeah. and then the effort that you all walked down there and actually made that happen and boom so y'all went down there auditioned or y'all auditioned that day but then went back and then 
um, what was the next steps in, 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 in that process? Well, well, the next step was, uh, you know, uh, at the time we did have some music recorded. Yeah. So uh, we played some music and, um, you know, we freestyled and rapped in front of them and stuff like that. As a group, we got up and performed and did all those things just to show our dedication, show we were serious. Mm. And, um, you know, he was just like, man, I, I like y'all. I want to work with y'all. And from there, he started setting up studio sessions mm. just to see how we work. So mm. we would go to the studio, work and cut records. And at the time that we went, he, he P.D. Wax had already had, I want to say, what, I want to say four or five acts safely at the time. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So that's another thing to the younger artists too. Like, our position wasn't guaranteed. Right. And he made that known. Like, I got other artists such such and such. So we actually had to work ourselves up mm -hmm. to even get to that point where they was we was the main focus of mm -hmm. the label at the time. Because mm -hmm. we had to fight for our position. It was like, like I said, it's like four or five other groups there. So, um, so you know, he signed us. And, you know, from there, he was like, I like y'all. And signed us, offered us a contract. We signed the contract. And, you know, the rest was history, man. We just started working from there. So that album, so that album, um, what, what was it called? Uh, the first out of order album was the Arrow Tripleosis. Okay, and that came out when? That was uh, two thousand. Okay, yeah, and, and and the lead single from that, which everybody in St. Louis at the time definitely remembers, it work some twerk some. Yeah, work some twerk some. And before I go even that far, before we put the out of order album out, it was a compilation that PD Wax put out called Both Sides of the Game. Okay, and it was featuring out of order, and then it had all PD Wax artists. And it had uh, features on there as well. They had like uh, Be Legit was on there. Mm. We had a song with Crucial Conflict, mm. which actually the song is on YouTube. Somebody posted it, so I found it. Mm. Uh, so it was a it was a mix of just scattered artists and PD Wax artists. Mm. And that was before the album, mm -hmm. the era of Triple Osis mm -hmm. came out. Mm. So like on the production on the album, that was pretty much handled by you and KP, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Now how did that feel? Because you know to be able to, so. This was before, okay, so this was before any of the uh, um, uh, um, the whole nine or any of that. This was before, because this, this, this situation that you were in with that, then once that kind of, you know, uh, fell through, then that's when you were like, okay, back out here, kind of like on some Ice Cube solo, <laughs> trying to figure it out again. Yeah. Right? Okay, so with the success of Work Some, Twerk Something, how was the, how, what was that feeling like for you in the city? With, you know with with everybody and with the group and being able to perform and you got twist on the record I mean how did all that feel at that time in your life at that point I mean that was that was big for us because we didn't see any of that coming mm -hmm. you know we was just happy to get a record out there and just be a part of the label to just get something going but we never seen that coming you know um, when the, when the, um, when we first did work some twerk some um, I'll never forget you know I was in there making a the beat and PD came in there and he was like I like this record he was like, uh, this might be a first single for y'all. You think y'all we can come up with something? So I think as the group, we tried to get together, and, and but he he wasn't feeling the hook direction because mm -hmm. you know, KP and them kind of wanted to go more lyrical, and I kind of felt them too. I was with it too, but PD was always real big on studying. Like y'all got to study the game. Like it's cool to be a you know the child lyricist and want to be these rappers, but we got to make hit records. Mm -hmm. So and I credit PD for that because he the one that really sparked me on that. Even though I was always open to it, mm -hmm. he the one that really sparked it. So. He heard the record and um, uh, so actually we couldn't come up with a hook as a group. So we end up, I think I end up getting with PD, me and KP, and then you know PD started vibing on the hook. So he really came up with the hook and we just mm -hmm. vibe with him on the hook. Mm -hmm. And that's how that happened. And then you know when we finally got the song done, he was like, "It's something missing." And I was like, "What else you think it need?" He was like, "We we might need to put an artist on there." And I was like, "You sure?" Because mm -hmm. the song is already dope. He like, "No, nah, we need somebody." And he was like, "Who you think?" And I was like, um, 
But because we rapping like this, I think somebody like Crucial Conflict or a Twister would be dope. Mm. So it ended up being Twister because he had already had a relationship with Twister manager, mm-hmm. who was named this dude named Big Fub at the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So uh, so we agreed on Twister. Everybody agreed on Twister. Uh, we contacted Big Fub. Big Fub. They drove down here and back was, in the day where it wasn't no yeah. emailing, it wasn't no emailing <laughs> the track and sending no. it back. People had to drive and actually be in the presence of one another in the studio recording. <laughs> Yeah, and I commend Twister because he, he actually drove, him and his manager drove here mm. and came to the studio mm. and actually vibed with us in the studio and we, you know, did the record. We actually, when we heard Twister verse, we actually went in and had to step some of our stuff up again, mm. you know what I'm saying? So that's how that happened. So uh, it was dope and Twister was real cool. And now that you look back on it, because, you know, artists don't do that no more, mm-hmm. like, and Twister was big at the time, right. you know, he right. wasn't some small artist, right. so that was real big. So that was pretty much the birth of how... Work some, twerk some, came. Mm. Yeah. yeah, because on that hook, it was just a simple work some, twerk some, let me hit it. Yeah, work. and you can tell that you can tell that the hook was sampled in there. Yeah, and then so like, and then the twerk too. Mm-hmm. Remember, and then uh, I had a friend call me, and he was like, "Man, y'all was ahead of y'all time with this twerk stuff." Mm-hmm. He was like, "Y'all should have patented that," because he said, "If you really look back, nobody really was making twerk records like yeah. that." Yeah, and he was like, "Look at this whole Miley Cyrus twerk right. craze thing yeah. right there." So yeah, my homeboy, he a hip hop dude too, and he was like, "Yo, like." Like y'all was way ahead of y'all time with the twerk thing, you know what I'm saying? So, so that 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 was, yeah, man. Now, after the single came out and it was, you know, it was popping off and everything like that. How then after that it was the record you all did with Lil John. Now this is before Lil John, you know, it was still Lil John and Eastside Boys, but it was before Lil John like straight up blew up. Yeah. So it was like people, it was like it was like unless you knew who Lil John was, then you know it was like he wasn't universal like how he became right when the time of that record so how did whose idea was that um to even get him on the song like that well being a success of uh work something mm-hmm. and pd being a businessman he was like yo this formula is working so let's stay on it so he was really the one that suggested it he was like you know uh you know we got twisted so we need to get somebody else on the record so that's how the whole little john situation came about and um Kool-Aid, who was a DJ here at the time, it, people knew him back as DJ Kool-Aid back in the days. Mm. Kool-Aid had a relationship with John. They was real cool. Mm. So I got to credit that situation to Kool-Aid, and he made that happen. But it was PD's suggestion that we keep the same format going, mm. following the success of Work Something, mm-hmm. which put a feature order on that. Which at the time, back then, you know, it was like no really local artists had yeah. features back then. Right, exactly. That's so, what I'm saying. So yeah. that was like a big thing. It was like, wow, so driving around the city and the song is just on you're like yo these cats is on you know what i mean yeah. i never forget when the album came out i went to street side to listen to it you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so how soon after those two songs came out did the actual album physical cd actually come out and what did that feel like to finally have this album come out and after the, you know these two singles hit the streets i want to say probably about three months after the Lil john single is when the arrow trip losses came mm-hmm. So, because I remember PD, he wanted to keep it the momentum because we was hot at the time, you know what I'm saying? So it was about, I was going to say two and a half months, three, the uh, album came out. And then um, from there, it just like took a life of its own from there, you know what I'm saying? From the album being out. So yes, I want to safely say about two or three months. And then as far as how I felt, um, it was crazy because we never thought that it would happen, you know what I'm saying? Because we had to fight with so many artists that was all running the label, you know what I'm saying? their albums weren't even out. Nah. So from the time that you made that phone call to the time that album came out, how long of a period was that? Um, I want to say safely, I want to say 
probably maybe a year or two, two years the most. Two years. Yeah. From the time of the phone call to the time the album came out. Yeah, about two years. So right. once again, you have to, you know, accept your fear, but don't let the fear accept you. Right. And with that came the success of this album actually coming out and the masses being able to hear it. So the album comes out. Um, you know, you all were doing promo tours and things like that, promo runs. And this is around 2000. I'll never forget, I was off in, in college and I had the album, the CD. And I was up in college, um, 2000, summer 2000. Yeah. Now, around this time, this was when Nelly was about to drop. Mm -hmm. The country grammar was about to drop and all that. So here we are, the city of St. Louis is hearing, you know, this out of order album. And then all of a sudden, here this guy from the lunatics country grammar comes out and it's just like damn okay st louis is really just popping off what the hell's going on and then he he we already know the history on on that yeah so now what was going through you all's mind at that point did you all see the the music in st louis beginning to shift like okay we're on this wave now like what was the the mind state because keep in mind this was fall 2000 you know 18 years ago yeah i mean as as a as a as an artist and a competitor and i and i'm and i'm gonna be honest when i say this it wasn't really a competition thing with us per se because nelly one thing about nelly is that i remember we had an autograph signing um at one of the record stores here and he actually came to the uh, we still got pictures to this day where he actually came they drove up to the autograph signing took pictures with us and you know and showed support so it never was really a competitive thing with us with Nelly. It was just more of like, damn, like, because you know we still didn't have a deal. Mm -hmm. You know, saying even though PD Wax was a powerhouse independently, so when Nelly came with Universal with the monster behind them, it was just like, it was like, man, like we was happy, but at the same time we mm -hmm. was like, we want that, man, we want to have that. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, and so we supported Nelly, but the competitive nature in us as artists was like. Like man, like this is kind of taking attention away from us because his it was so powerful right. and explosive right. that it just overpowered everything that anybody right. was doing in the city at the right. time. You know what I'm saying? And and I will be honest to say to me that was the that was kind of the fall of the whole situation mm -hmm. because it was putting pressure on PD mm -hmm. to get us a deal because mm -hmm. it's like okay, we've gotten this far, but here comes this dude Nelly with mm -hmm. this one situation and he just blows up all over the world. Mm -hmm. And here we are still sitting here independently. Mm -hmm. We don't have the dollar power to compete with that. Mm -hmm. So uh, so we supported him and he came and supported us and we never had a problem. But the competitive nature in us was kind of like, man, like, like, like every time we even like when we used to do shows sometimes, we would kind of get intimidated. Like, mm -hmm. damn, like, like we, we confident in ourselves, but we just like this dude, it was just too powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, begin to, you know what I'm saying, you know, respectfully form the demise of Out of Order and to where you became, you started to say, okay, let me do my thing. Okay, to me, it, it started with the, that, that whole Nelly, I'm not gonna even really say it was the whole Nelly thing. I mean, it contributed because we wanted a record deal. You know what I'm saying? So it put a lot of pressure on PD to get a record deal. So the fall of the group became when, um, you know, uh, it, it, it started to be separation to a certain degree. Mm. I remember when we flew up to uh, uh, we flew up to Sony. Sony offered us a deal actually, mm. 
And at the time, the, the vice president of Sony Records was a guy named Dave McPherson. Okay. And, and Dave McPherson is actually from St. Louis. He went to Hazelwood Central. Mm. He was the VP there. He signed B2K, a bunch of people. I think Jennifer Lopez, he had something to do with that deal. But um, so I remember when we when we, uh, we went to see Dave in New York, it was only two of us. And I remember sitting in the office and uh, Dave pulled up the picture. I'm like, okay, I see two of y'all. I think it was me and KP. He was like, where the rest of these niggas at? That's exactly how he said it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So from there. Now, why weren't they there? See, that's what I'm saying because it was like, like, I don't, I'm not going to say he was trying to separate us or nobody. He was just trying to keep the budget and the money intact. Mm -hmm from the traveling and expenses, but other people didn't really see it that way. So it kind of felt weird, you know what I'm okay, saying? So I don't right. think he was doing anything on purpose. I just think he was handling business and we was too young at the time to really understand it. Right. Budgets, flights. and So I was looking at it like, okay, well, you know, because it's like, okay, out of the group, who are the main two guys? Who, who are the main guys? And, you know, out of the, you know, respectfully, you know what I'm saying? It was you and KP. You know what I'm saying? The main, the main guys that stood out amongst the group. I mean, in a group, you know, even in WA, it was always what uh, Ice Cube and like Easy E or somebody. You yeah. know what I mean? People respected Ren, but Ren wasn't the standout one. You know what I mean? Right. So that's just how I mean. You know, like I said, respectfully. Um, so maybe that's what he probably looked at it as. Well, who's doing the music? Who's producing? Who's yeah. doing? You know what I mean? Let me bring. Let me see those guys. Who's doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, okay. So then, so the, so that's where the demise started kind of form kind of like a separation kind of in a sense and everybody kind of felt, didn't feel as together like man, it, it was, you kind of felt more so of a certain favoritism so to speak in, 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 in certain things, certain situations yeah. so with that now you find yourself kind of like posted up and you're like man, what am I going to do? Well, so so, <laughs> yeah. so, so did you end up getting more equipment? Well, like, how did that go? Because then after that is what led you to, you know, being getting cool with chaos and things like yeah. that. How did that whole situation? Because I remember after the out of order situation, it was as if, you know, that whole demise part happened. But then all of a sudden, when uh, what's it in the club not uh, what's, what was the song called Nina Pop Nina Pop well not it was, at first it was called Everybody in the Club that one okay yeah. now I remember when I first heard that and I remember you told me when you had, you had made that and I remember the production sound of it it was around the time when like Nikki I said now nah, Nikki when all yeah. that came out and I remember the sound of it was kind of dark yeah it was kind of dark it was it was 808s but it was dark and I remember the snare and it was just I remember that time in St. Louis, you can hear the difference in, like, sound. Um, and I remember the whole... <laughs> JV-10. And I look at it like, the reason why it sounded like that was because that's how you were feeling. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Your spirit was feeling like that. Yeah. But your spirit is what drove you to make that track like that. But even, but then, how did that go about to where Chaos ended up getting on that, on in the, what was it, Chemo? Chemo, yeah. Hold on. Okay. So how did that, that happen to where they got on that particular beat? Okay, so I'm going to backpedal a little bit. So it goes back to the whole, you know, the group kind of falling out of grace with PD Racks Records. And just to make a long story short on that, it just wasn't it wasn't working out for any of us. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I think PD tried to do everything he could to make that happen. And also, too, PD wanted a label deal. Because you, you got to remember, at that time, it was Master P. Right, everybody. Everybody was, was getting label deals. Mm -hmm. But from my understanding of what I know and what I was told, that 
Sony, and then it was, I think it was USC, I think Universal with Steve Rifkin. Mm. They wanted to sign out of order to the label mm. as a group, and they just wanted PD to kind of come in and manage us. Mm. And, and they wanted the label. Yeah, they, they didn't want to do a label deal. Mm. So that's where it started going down because we got upset because we felt like we was being hated on. Like, like why, it, it don't make sense for you know you to turn that deal down when you're still a part of the situation that wasn't they weren't trying to push him out the way mm -hmm. they were just simply saying we don't want to do a label deal with pd wax we want to sign the group directly to the label mm -hmm. so um which i understand and respect him because he felt like he worked hard for that and you know it just didn't work out you know what i'm saying that way so uh so the labels pulled back everybody pulled back and it didn't but look but looking back on it you know what i'm saying in, in hindsight it's kind of one of those things where it, even if just take just take the opportunity the opening to do that manage but then still try to figure out how he can get some of his other his other artists maybe signed to other like was kind of like how Wu-Tang was when yeah. the different artists they had different deals yeah different labels you know what I mean and that's why I don't get, right and that's why I don't get upset because he was only trying to look out for the best interest of the label at the time right but we was once again we young like fierce like we too young to understand the business because we was just looking at it like we want to get on not understanding how much money he had tied up and how many other things he had as well and people he had to please. So that was the demise of the whole situation and from there it just went completely downhill. Uh, we fell out with PD Wax. I'll never forget we went up to the Wax Factory. That was a club he owned. Yeah. And he signed the contract to get us out of the contract to let us go. So when, P so when we finally fell out with PD Wax and that whole thing crumbled and he let us go, that's when it really got bad. You know what I'm saying? And from there we just didn't never had the steam again to really get back up as a group where we needed to be. Right. And we didn't really realize how much of a powerhouse and support that we had until he was gone. Was this, yeah. uh, was was the songs like Work Some, Twerk Some still on the radio being played and all this? Yeah, we still had a lot of juice in the city. People knew who we were. We were still doing shows and doing what we could do. But it was, our person. It was it was still a persona that was very right. high, right. but our personal lives was falling down. Right. And people didn't really know, know it because we were really good at disguising and hiding, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. keeping our image up and just hiding out and stuff like that. Right. So uh, at that point, that's when everything started going downhill and the group started bickering and fighting mm -hmm. from within. And just to give you an example real quick, so I don't want to skip over too many things, but what led to the whole nine thing and the, the equipment situation, and then you got to know all of this stuff still going on, I was still cool with PD. Mm -hmm. and, and that's another thing that the group really didn't like. Mm -hmm. Because me and him still had a close, we was super close. Mm -hmm. Like we'll still go work out. He'll still look out, look out for me and stuff like that. So I tell you a real funny story. KP, uh, at the time, you know, because we were still living with our manager at the time, mm -hmm. and we had all the equipment there, so we still was making beats and trying to do stuff. So we got to a fight one night in the group. <laughs> so KP takes the equipment, he takes the, the drum machine, mm -hmm. and just like this mine, I'm taking it. You know what I'm saying? So he, he takes the drum machine. And takes it over his brother's house. So he leaves the house and move with his brother. Mm. So we all sitting in here like we ain't got no equipment. So we mad as hell. Everybody sitting around. We like, man, we finna go confront this nigga. You know what I'm mm. saying? Mm. So I'll never forget. We all went in the car. We was banging on the door. He never came to the door. Mm. We like, we need the equipment back. And then from there, it just all hell broke loose. Mm. It just like KP ended up leaving. Um, no, no, just kind of just fell out of the, out of the picture. Mm. Uh, Jay Damage just kind of went out and did his thing. And then I was real close with the manager. So, and I was living there, so, you know what I'm saying, me and him just stayed cool and I stayed there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when everything just went left field. Mm -hmm. So that was really the breakup of Out of Order. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. So with the whole nine. Okay, in the whole nine situation, uh, 
So PD had found out what I was going through. He was like, yeah, he called me one day. and was like, I heard you going through a hard time. Uh, he was like, man, I always believed in you. He was just like, unfortunately, it just didn't work out, such, such, such. So he was like, I'm going to do this for you. He was like, I'm going to drop this drum machine off over there for you, which was the MPC 2000. Mm. And he was like, I'll never forget. He dropped the MPC off and he was like, yo, man, I like you. You know what I'm saying? I know you still got it in you. Take this drum machine. Take this and just, you know what I'm saying? See if you can do something. So he supported me through that whole situation. So I never forget he drops off this MPC, no manual. <laughs> I don't know how to work it. You know what I'm saying? Know what to do or whatever. No, so no floppy disk, no nothing. I had to start start from scratch. So so basically that's how the whole nine birthed. Uh, so when when uh, when PD dropped off the equipment, I had went through a depression, man, for weeks or whatever. So I'm just staring at the equipment. So one day I was like, you know, I'm gonna figure out how to work this MPC. Right, so I right. started. You know, calling around, asking mm -hmm. people and stuff like that. So what I did, and this goes into the whole nine situation. Mm -hmm. So what I did was, and this is for the, the youngsters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you never can't make an excuse if, if you got things to put things together. But I took a PlayStation, the old gray PlayStation. I hooked it up to the back of the MPC. Mm -hmm. I took old CDs, Dr. Dre, Cash Money, whoever I can find. And I would take their snares and take their kicks. Mm -hmm. And I made my own drum kits because I didn't have the money to buy it. Didn't even know where to get it from at the mm -hmm. time. So um, to make a long story short on that, I learned how to work the MPC. I sliced all these sounds. By sampling through the PlayStation. By through the PlayStation, mm -hmm. just figuring out a way. And uh, he left me a he left me the MPC and it was a rack called the JV10. Yeah, JV10. 10. 10, yeah. yeah so, I, um, I, had that, I had that same one. <laughs> yeah, so, so I hooked those up. And I just started making beats and just doing what I could do with the time. So one day I woke up and I heard so so uh, so okay so like for instance the dun 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 that dun 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 was that was that played actually um, uh, sequenced real time or did you take like a sound like a dun, like a dun, like a dun, or whatever and then played it on the pads of the NPC oh no that was real time you know back then you had okay. to play <laughs> yeah. okay. so you could sequence but you definitely had to play so I, I had to play uh, play that sound out you know all the way through and then kind of reverse it back on it a little bit uh, so weeks go by I'm still going through my depression I'm still doing music so I heard this bang at the door like the police or something was there. I got nervous like so I jump up and I look out the window, out the blind, and I see the 100.3 The Beat Band out there. Mm. So I open the door in and it's- In front of the crib? Yeah, in front of the crib. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, like, what's going on? So I opens up the door and uh, it's Chaos. Mm. At the name is uh, Big Sexy Cool DJ Chaos. Mm. He was one of the most popular. I ain't gonna say the was the most popular right. DJ in the city at the time. So he's right. knocking on the door. He's like, yo, uh, I heard the group broke up. Uh, you still doing beats? I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm messing around in here. He was like, man, uh, uh, you know, what you doing today? And I'm like, I ain't got nothing to do. He was like, grab the equipment and jump in the van with me. So I'm like, where are we going? Like, hold on, man, wait a minute. I ain't even seen you, talk to you. Like, mm -hmm. what's, like wait, wait, back up. You know, so he was like, uh, man, trust me, bro. I, I, I got you, I got you. Just get the equipment, let's just jump in the van. So I uh, packaged up the equipment, jumped in the van, and we went to his grandmother's house. Mm -hmm. And um, he had a bunch of DJ equipment down there from the beat and stuff like that. So I took my keyboard took the JV-10, the MPC, and hooked it up to his stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I want to say the, the, the third day of us working, doing beats, that's when everybody in the club up came, mm -hmm. the third day. Mm -hmm. And I would never forget, I did the drum beat, and I played the bump, 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 bump. And then Chaos was, and Chemo was, they was listening, bobbing their head. Mm -hmm. And then Chaos came up, mm -hmm, everybody in the club up. And then Chemo started vibing, and then it was just a vibe session. Mm -hmm. 
and then the song just came and then I started doing more as it just happened and adding the drums yeah it was a real vibe session mm -hmm. and uh, that's how everybody in the club up came mm. yeah. so was that song recorded at the studio and so you took the files the session file well the the actual you know um, the files from the, 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 the floppy disk take them to the studio and drop them down on the dat yeah uh, back then yeah, because at that time we had the floppy. So what right. we what we did was tracked it uh, in each each one individually. Visually, yeah, mm -hmm. we had to take it to the studio. It was yeah. this guy named Russ Gerard. Anybody anybody in St. Louis back then know Russ. Okay, you know he had a uh, he had a house and he had a shed in the back and he had this mm -hmm. big studio in the back or whatever. So uh, so we got with Russ and did most of the track. And actually, he had the shed studio and he had another studio downtown that he worked out of. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I took the MPC there and we had the track, you know how it goes, mm -hmm. old school, mm -hmm. sound by sound mm -hmm. by sound. Mm -hmm. And um, and by being and by not being that many sounds, it was, you know, it was still, and the thing is, back then you had to do it real time. Yeah. So it wasn't take it, you know, four bar, eight bars of that and just looping the set. No, you had to do it the entire, so just, if, if the, you know, just to make sure that you were safe on time, whatever, maybe you would loop, have the beat go for about, what, six minutes? Yeah. Something like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's each, something. Each one, the kick. Kick six minutes. That's something these youngsters are gonna, ain't gonna never experience. Snare, <laughs> six minutes. Each sound. That way you go. You know what I mean? Because I'm pretty sure on your NPC you didn't have all the, the eight outs in the back of it. You know what right. I'm saying? It was like one, you know maybe two, and then you had to pan them what left and right. We had to pan yeah. them, and yeah. I'm gonna tell you something even more mm -hmm. crazier real quick. The older generation here, like our mother and dad, like they are, like especially from St. Louis, mm -hmm. it was an artist named Oliver Sane here. He was an old jazz musician. He passed that. away some years ago. Mm -hmm. But we had a session with Oliver Sane, and he didn't have a sequencer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he was like, I don't know what to tell y'all, but we had, we, had, we had already paid for the session. Mm -hmm. And he was like, man, I'm sorry I didn't tell you I, didn't have, I don't have a sequencer. So we had to play every track mm -hmm. live. Mm -hmm. The hip-hop. Snare, the snare. <laughs> we had to play the drums. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we had to play the bass line and every sound. So if, so if every sound was, say, six minutes let's say, let's say the song was five minutes mm -hmm. we had to play all yeah. the way through yeah <laughs> so the drums if it was doom, 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 for the entire six minutes the entire right. six minutes right which is which is which is pretty dope i mean yeah. because it's, it's the actual real live yeah it was like it was as if it was really played it was it was really played live that particular yeah. um record um so you all recorded that song so I know. So in your mind, are you thinking like, okay, we're, I'm just recording this song or whatever? Like, yeah. did you in your mind think that this would be on the radio? Well, you know what? What, what made me what, what made me uh, excited about the project and to, to get intrigued with it is that I knew Chaos was a radio DJ. Right. So in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, if he's a radio DJ and he and he has his power at the station, they gonna play the record. Mm -hmm. So for me. I knew that if we got a hit that he would play it. Mm -hmm. So that's what even got me excited about the whole situation because I knew it wasn't one of them situations where it's like, yeah, I'm going to get with this artist and we don't know if we're going to get it played and we're going to try. I knew Chaos was going to get that record mm -hmm. played. So that's what, you know, uh, that's what drove my interest in it because it was actually people trying to talk me out of the situation yeah. because Chaos didn't want paying me no money. Mm -hmm. they like, this dude ain't paying y'all and, you know what I'm saying? You know, you, you know, he ain't giving you nothing and such, such, such. But me, I didn't really care because I was looking at the opportunity mm -hmm. because he was a DJ and I knew being smart back then that it would lead to other things and the right. sound, it would get out there. So ain't it crazy? So I, I know at the time you wasn't with ASCAP or none of that back then. Nah. nah right. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> I was just young and excited. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just, but just, but just think about it if you were. You know what I mean? Because right. that song was on the radio every day. 
Right. Like, it, it got re-registered. What's funny is, is that's chemo. He looked out for me actually. Mm. And chemo, come to find out, he actually did register my mm. portion mm. in there. So he ended up just unknown. Right, it, it, was, it was unknown. Unknown. Right, so it was still just kind of right. in limbo. Right, but you know, you know, once you get a deal and things happen later, then the lawyers and people came in and back. seen that. Okay. So if you look into my uh, my uh, BMI now, it's actually mm. in there. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. So okay, boom, song is up. You know, in a way, you're like, okay, you know, what I'm saying you're feeling good about yourself. It's kind of that, you know, the the, the sun is starting to shine. Um. And now. In the midst of that song being played, and, and that was honestly that was where the beginning of the whole Nina Pop movement started was was starting. Yeah, um, which sparked off the kind of like the the, the the remix in a way, but it was a new sound. And I remember thinking like, man, this sounds different. And that's because you got with Alonzo, yeah, <laughs> track stars. Okay, now how did that whole Situation come about to where you ended up meeting um, Zoe, um, and with that the sound changed. It was the because people don't know. Some people in St. Louis, a lot of people in St. Louis that you know just hear the music, they hear that song, but not knowing that the same guy that made that track did this track too. Right. They look at it as two different things. So I know folks right now that are listening to this are probably like, really? Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how did that uh, relationship start off? Right, okay, well, the Alonzo thing came into play. Okay, so when ne- so so when everybody in the club up came out, mm-hmm. um, chaos chaos and chemo got a deal from MCA Records. Mm-hmm. I believe it was like four hundred thousand. So that was a pretty big deal for back yeah. then. Uh, so they got a deal. So in the mix of them signing the deal with MCA off everybody in the club up, uh, we started working on the album. Mm-hmm. So I know you feeling good, like wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I'm like four hundred thousand. That's a lot, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, for a deal. So I'm excited. You know, we working on the album. Plus, track was a uh, uh, Tarboy was a part of. Did you did you know Tarboy was a part of that situation too? He did production on it as well. Yeah, yeah, Tar- yeah. At the time, yeah, because uh, yeah, Tarboy did the uh, Come Here Dirty, Let Me Holla at You, mm-hmm. and I think it was one other one he did on there. You know, he did a couple of them on there. How many was on there that you had did? Man. You did majority. You did like yeah, majority of like that. about. I'm gonna say 13, 14 records almost. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so, so at the time, yeah, we started working on uh, the album after you know once they was signing the deal. Wow. So in the mix of that, you know, I went back to the lab. You know, we creating the album. So this is where it get interesting. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on. I'm working on a beat one night uh, for the whole nine album. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was it was in the back room, and you know. Um, it was separated from the kitchen where it was like the, the back room, the door closed in the kitchen right there. So I leave and go to get something to eat. Uh, I come back in the room and the NPC is gone. Mm. So During I'm, the making of that album. So the making of the whole night album. So when I'm looking around the room and my equipment, I'm like, okay, the wire is still in the wall. Nothing else is touched. To, to make it even more crazier, it's like... I don't even remember the door even being open. You know, when somebody usually break in the house, mm-hmm. a burglar come in, the door wide open mm-hmm. and all that, I, the door wasn't even open. You didn't even hear any noise. Like nothing. Mm-hmm. And the kitchen, the, the kitchen in the back room is like, it's like right here mm-hmm. type of thing. So I'm looking around the room and I'm walking around like somebody just straight came in here and stole <laughs> this NPC. Mm-hmm. They broke in the house. So I'm back here depressed, walking around, like trying to figure out who it could be. Now, how much, how, how much of the album was already done at that time? Man, I want to say probably about sixty-five percent. Okay, seventy. Oh, the songs were done already, recorded, yeah. and everything. Okay, so if it, if the worst case scenario, if 
everything was you know gone right now, the album could still pop, come out. Basically, you just don't have an NPC anymore, correct? Right. Okay. So after that, then what? So after that, you know, um, I'm in. A, I'm, I'm walking around the back room. I'm depressed. I'm like somebody broke in here and stole my drum machine. I don't know what I'm gonna tell these guys. <laughs> you know, um, you know, SB halfway through this album, so. I didn't tell them for like two or three days. I didn't tell nobody that the NPC got stolen. So three days later, you know, I'm, I'm in the room. I'm sitting down. I'm like, you know, what I'm gonna do? So I called Chuma. Now Chuma was the brains behind the whole. Now he was the investor. He was the one that had all the money paying for the sessions. So I called Chuma. I said, we got bad news, brother. Somebody broke in and stole the NPC. You know, and I can't do no more of this album. You know, um, he was like, you ain't got nothing else, like no backup. And I'm like, nah, I ain't got nothing. So he was like, okay, let me think about it and I'll call you back. So Chuma called me back uh, that next morning and he was like, check this out. You know, you with the team and you know what I'm saying? I need you, such, such, such. So I'm going to just buy you a new NPC. But I'm going to need you to do this for me and do this for me and do this for me, such, such, such. And I cut the deal with him. I was like, cool. So uh, Chuma came to pick me up that uh, the next day. And we went up to a store called Mars Music. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, anybody in St. Louis, nobody, it was like Dale's Music, yeah. McMary's, mm-hmm. and then you had Mars. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went up to Mars uh, to get the MPC. So when we go up to Mars, that's when I run into Alonzo. He's actually the one that sold me the MPC. Mm-hmm. So he actually recognized who I was from out of order. He was mm-hmm. like, I'm a fan of your music. Mm-hmm. I like what you've done and such, such, such. And he was like, I'm a producer too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, really? So I was like, you got any beats on you? He was like, yeah, I got a CD. Let me run and get it. So he ran in the back and got a CD. And back then, like, they, they would sell, sell car stereos. Mm-hmm. So you would go in there and you could put CDs in there that you know, hear it bump or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he took his CD, put it into the car stereo. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, I started vibing. I'm like, damn. like, And I was impressed because of the musicianship. Mm-hmm. I had never heard any musicianship like mm-hmm. that. And I'm like, damn, like, you doing all these beats yourself? He's like, yeah. And what's even more interesting is, come to find out later on, he was actually a he was actually a producer that was signed to PD Wax Records mm. before we got there. Mm. Wow. <laughs> How the story gets crazy. So and um, he was also in a band they, as well. Yeah, huh? he was in a band called Doctor Chevegas, mm-hmm. and PD had hired Zoe to do music for him back then. The earlier uh, PD Wax artists, okay, like session work. Yeah, session work. Okay, you know what I'm saying. So uh, so he played me the tracks. I'm like, man, these tracks crazy. I got to get your number. We got to work together. Mm-hmm. So we exchanged numbers, and. Um, that's how the track stars came, you mm. know what I'm saying, from that that encounter. Okay. So whoever stole that MPC 2000 mm-hmm. led me to my destiny. Which, 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 which right, track stars. Which led me to that. What led to that name? Um. Well, one day we were just sitting back thinking, like, what can we call ourselves? Well, and, first off, yeah. was that name came about, that name came about, was that what sparked to do um, Nina Pop? Were you all track stars then? No, we wasn't. Okay. Yeah. So what led to that song coming about to do Nina Pop? Okay. Um, so they was they was excited off the success, you know, of course, from the everybody in the club. Up. So, and they're still working on the album. Album. So Chaos called me and was like, "We need to keep this momentum going." You know what I'm saying? We don't. You, you got know. the NPC now. Right. I got, got the NPC. Everything good. And he like, "Yo, we need to keep this momentum going." So I was like, "What you want to do?" He was like, "Well, let's 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 do a uh, let's do a remix." I was like, you sure? Why don't we just do another song? He was like, nah, let's do a remix. So I'm like, cool. So um, I hit up Zoe and um, I was like, yo, you know what I'm saying? They want to do a remix. You know, I want to come, I want to do it with you. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I said, that way we can kind of help, you know, what mm. we try to do. Mm. 
as a company too because at that time we was in the business talk of becoming a company we just didn't mm. have the name mm. track stars okay. so i called zoe and he was like yo i'm with it so uh we went back to the studio that night and uh now, we, did, now the the what's the name russ you went to russ's studio or this now that, uh, so, so zoe had an apartment in okay. u city and that's what we were, we would he had a pre-production lab yeah. there in his apartment. In his apartment, yeah. And that's what we were doing the music at. So, so that's where Nina Pop was made. That's that where Nina Pop was made. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, now Russ actually mixed it okay. in his studio, but we actually did the beat there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so um, you all did the beat. So you all knew that. So they knew that this song was gonna be. So you said, okay, you know what? Let's do a Nina Pop remix or whatever. Everybody in the club a remix, Nina Pop. And so you all made the beat, and then you took the beat to Chaos and them, and then they heard it, or were they there while you all were making it? No, nah, they wasn't there. We actually made the beat, and um, we sent it to them. Okay. Yeah, and when they heard it, him and Chemo got together, and, you know, that's how, you know, they heard the beat and came up with it. Now, I remember hearing that beat, that song, when it was on the radio. And I remember thinking, like, okay, I knew that you did this. And I think, remember you told me at that mm -hmm. time, you was all like, yeah, because you told me when you met, though. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, we got this, you know, the new Rex. So when they came on the radio and I'm finally hearing it, I can tell that the sound, it was still dark, but it was more, <laughs> I don't know, it was like that. You know what I mean? Had that that chord that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where the velocity was kind of like manually tapped. And then just the way the, the beat was. And it was just. I was like, okay, this is some. It was a new type of like sound, and then like with the whole, the reverse on the snares and all that stuff going on. So I was like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And the sound of it just it sounded. I don't know. I can't explain it. It just sounded more futuristic. Right. So at that particular point, is that when you, the both you all looked at each other and said, okay, we got something here. Yeah, we definitely did. And, okay. and, and it's funny you said that because Zoe, the reason it sounded so bright like that because you know Zoe was a musician. So his musicianship in the song added that flair. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That dun 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 So when he played that part, I heard the dun 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 And I added that, and then he added the song sound, and I added the sound. And that's that was really the birth of the track stars. So when that when that that those uh, drums. And for those that want to hear the song, you can go on YouTube looking up what's what's it up? Just, uh, just look up the, uh, the whole nine. Nina Pop. Nina Pop. Yeah. So like, and I remember the beat. It was just the way the, the way that the, the thump of it was it was yeah. like it was driving it was constantly driving you know what I mean it wasn't like you know, a lack, lackadaisical kind of like where the, the drum kind of sat back and waited it was like the drum was the movement of the actual track to where it was like kind of kept going you know right. what I mean and that sparked off the whole Nina Pop movement yes sir you know <laughs> what I'm saying that sparked it off even before and that's what it, you know when Ali did his, you know what I mean with all yeah, that but yeah. Nina this song is what sparked off the St. Louis movement Nina Pop okay so the <clears throat> beginning of so that was pretty much the beginning of Track Stars that song pretty much yeah that was the birth of Track Stars right. uh, Nina Pop we, we had already been together you know trying to do business mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying but as far as the name and everything you know that's when it came yeah. okay so now that song's on the radio now you're all looking, looking at each other like wow okay okay we got something here now what um from there it was just kind of one of them situations where it was like okay we, we know we got chaos them got momentum that's the whole nine we got everybody in the club up there still hot that, that, that everybody in the club up was hot as fish grease at the time mm -hmm. and then you and then so we got that record 
And then we like, yo, here we finna come with this remix. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So we pretty much knew that we had something mm-hmm. at the time. You know what I'm saying? And um, we knew that it was Spawn, but you know, as every story, as every good thing comes, you know, it was <laughs> bad things that was coming mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, spawned out of control after that Nina Pop success. And then prior to them shooting a video to everybody in the club up and signing the record deal with MCA. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, and that's when, yeah, because the album never came out on MCA, right? No. Nope. They ended up putting that out themselves. Right. It was Independently. Like, it, yeah, right. I remember that. Because it, it did actually come out. Because I remember I went and uh, I think I listened to it or at Sound, not Sound Revolution, but uh, um, what, what's what's the spot down in the Delmar on the Loop? Vintage Vinyl. Vintage Vinyl, yeah. I heard it down there. So that album comes out, you know, we all, whatever, the album didn't do what maybe it should have, but hey. You got your credit on the album, produced mm-hmm. by Sham. Um, you got the songs. It is what it is. But out of that came the relationship between you and so. Now, yeah. how do you? And by this particular time, Nelly already was blowing up um, with you know country grammar and all that <clears> would happen. <throat> now what? Now how did you come across um, finding out about Chingy? Okay, well, uh, I already knew Chingy, you know okay. what I'm saying, from because he was in a group uh, called uh, Without Warning, and he was signed with a label uh, called 4900 Productions, mm-hmm. and uh, so back in the days when Out of Order would do shows, sometimes Without Warning would perform with us. Okay. Uh, sometimes we would open up for them and they'd open up with us, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lil Howard was in the group without mm-hmm. one. So that's how I always knew him. Lil Howard, that's Chingy. That's Chingy, yeah. Okay. So I always knew him through that particular relationship we had already had. Mm-hmm. So he, he had already knew me from, mm-hmm. you know, out of order success and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Okay, so how did that come about as far as when you say, you know what, let's do, let, you know what I'm saying, let, let's, let's link up with him and, you know what I'm saying, see what we can do. How did that whole... Thing come about. Well, what's, what's, what's funny is that that situation uh, wasn't even planned. Mm. Um, Chingy was in a group at the time called Three Strikes. Three Strikes con- con- uh, consisted of a, uh, it was an artist named Tega. Uh, it was Ahmad, which was Ali from the St. Lunatic's little brother, mm. and, and Chingy. Mm. And they was called Three Strikes. And as a matter of fact, they were actually on tour with the Lunatics. Mm. So at that time, T. Love, Tony Davis, who was Nelly's manager, mm. was managing Three Strikes. Mm. So, Tony calls us up and like, yo, I heard y'all got a deal with, you know, DTP, Shaka Zulu. So, uh, hold on, so the actual production company, the actual production duo, Trackstars, had a deal with DTP. Yeah. Okay, how did that go about? Okay, I'll, I'll step back a little yeah, bit for you. Yeah. So, um, so how the whole DTP situation happened is... It was a, it was a, um, it was an A and R here named Celine Boab. Most, mostly all the artists back then that's that's listened to this podcast knew who Celine was because mm-hmm. Celine was supposed to have been like this A and R research guy from Def Jam, mm-hmm. and he was like snooping around in everybody's situation, coming down, seeing people perform, and he would come watch us perform. So Celine was interested in us at Def Jam, taking us to get us a deal that's out of order. Out of okay. So uh, we uh, met with Celine in the uh, hotel room. We came down. Um, here's another example for young people and just people in general. This is a lesson. So, Salim came down and he met with the group in the hotel room out of order. And um, he was offering us a situation like some type of, uh, I believe it was some called, uh, I forgot what type of deal, but it was called, a, um, it was deals where when you would sign and development deals, developmental deals. That's, that's the word I was looking for. 
So he offered us a developmental deal, and come to find out, Celine wasn't even like a real A and R. He was what you call an A and R research person. Okay. So when the managers uh, found that found out that Celine was this A and R research guy, he wasn't actually a real A and R. They started dissing him, like you know, this dude just emptying ass rays. You know, he can't get us a deal, mm-hmm. and everybody started dissing him. And but you know me, just the spirit I am, mm-hmm. I always respected him and still stayed friends with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I stayed friends with Salim, and um, he respected me f- f- uh, from the situation, from people disrespecting him. You know, opening him up and keeping a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, nothing ever happened out of the situation. He came to visit us, and he went to see a lot of groups. And um, so from there, me and Celine gained a relationship. Mm. And he would call me and ask me, yo, like, what's happening in the city and what's going on with the groups here and stuff like that. So we would just always talk. Mm. So Celine found out that I was a part of the chaos deal because he had heard they got the deal with MCA. Mm. So Celine called me one day and he was like, yo, uh, I heard chaos don't got a deal with MCA records. He was like, what's your situation? Do you have a manager? Mm. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm just doing all this by myself right now. Mm. So he was like, I got somebody that may be interested in this situation I'm like who And he was like Well it's this guy Over at uh, DTP Named Shaka Zulu mm-hmm. Who I'm really good friends with and, it's, and you know He manages a lot of producers And he may be interested mm-hmm. So he said um, I'm gonna send Shaka Your number And uh, I'm gonna have Shaka Send you his information And you all started talking mm-hmm. So he he kept his word He sent Shaka the information mm-hmm. Yo this kid from St. Louis Produced these artists They got a deal with MCA Such 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 so me and Shaka started talking. I, I want to say we, we talked for like a month. Mm. That was back in the, in the time where you had the, the Sky Tales, the grades, yeah, <laughs> two-way yeah, pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so um, me and Shaka would talk back and forth on the, on the Sky Tales, and we would just stay in touch, and he would ask questions and stuff like that. So nothing really came officially, official out of the situation because what's crazy is right when we was finna do something with Shaka, or right when I was like finna ask him, like, let's do a situation, Chaos them end up getting dropped <laughs> from MCA. Mm-hmm. So you got to think the whole purpose of shocking them even dealing with us was on the strength of chaos them getting a deal with MCA. So I'm like, damn, when I'm going to tell Shaka, like, they're getting dropped. This ain't even going to happen. So me and Zoe was at the house one day, and we like, so what we going to do? So I never forget, man, we went down to the Loop. uh, This, this, uh, It was a restaurant called Cicero's. Mm. And um, we went and had dinner, and we sat down, and we was like, what we going to do? And I remember looking at Zoe was like, we gotta be honest with him. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said, man, let's just let's, let's 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 have faith, and let's just be honest with Shaka Zulu, and let's just let's make a call and tell the truth, but still try to sell the pitch of us working as producers for DTP. Mm-hmm. So we called Shaka, and we was like, deal with it, it fell through, mm-hmm. but man, we still want to work with you. We want you to manage us. So Shaka was like, oh, it's all good, you know, saying so, you know, so he was like, what happened with the deal? We was like, well, we don't really know. We don't have many details. So he was like, all right, bet. So he said, uh, yeah, I got a beat CD. We said, yeah. So he said, send me a beat CD with about 10, 15 beats on it. Mm. So uh, we sent Shaka uh, the beat CD, and we didn't hear from him. Like, a week passed, and we like, <laughs> to do it on and like now, our now, now, this is when you had to mail out the beat CD in the mail. Yeah, we had right. to send it to him. Right. <laughs> no emails. No emails. Just send it out, <laughs> physical. We had to get the physical hard copy of the yeah. CD, go yeah. to the post office, mm-hmm. and send it to Shaka. So we sent it to him. And uh, it took him about four or five days to get back with us. We sitting over there nervous. So I get this email. Uh, no, I, I get a text on the sky on the uh, mm-hmm. on the two way pager. Shaka Zulu. He like, yo, we listen to the beat such 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 such. I, I like what you're doing. What's funny is it's a guy named Rich Nice. Rich now, Rich Nice is business partners with Sway okay. from MTV. Uh, uh, that's Sway. Mm-hmm. So 
Rich Nice uh, actually heard the beat CD, and I believe that Rich Nice was the one, if I'm not mistaken, that talked Shaka into doing it because you know our beats was kind of different. It was mm-hmm. kind of like foreign at the time, so mm-hmm. you could kind of tell he was a little hesitant. So Rich Nice was like, "Nah, these guys are dope. This is a new sound they got. Shaka, you need to do this." So Shaka called us back and was like, "Yo, let's do this. Let's do this situation." Mm-hmm. So that's when Shaka took on the managing. Now, management now, now at this point in your life, coming from the outer order and. You know everything. Where are you at in your mind at this particular point in time? Is it like wow, like things are just you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like this divine situation for you to where it's kind of like man, like this like it seems like it's everything is just kind of just landing. How is this landing <laughs> yeah. for you? You know what I mean? Without you even really trying, you're you're trying, but you're like it's just kind of happening. Right? How did you feel at that particular point in time? Here you have this guy from DTP. Saying he wants to manage you And this guy And this at the time Ludacris was The number one thing Out as well And this is His label This is his company How did that feel? But when Manzo Finally signed the deal With, with, with DCP I would, I would never forget We sat in the uh, we, we sat in the studio In in, um, in U-City In the apartment We mm-hmm. were still there And we looked at each other And was like This is an opportunity right here We got Ludacris The hottest artist out right now mm-hmm. We got his manager Shaka Like this is a prime opportunity for us but here are the stories always turns again. So we get a call from Shaka, and he was like, I got to be honest with y'all. I got a lot of other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I got other artists, other producers. He was like, y'all got to work y'all way up. Y'all got to fight for this position. And me and, me and Zola. Kind of the same way, kind of the same way it was with the PD <laughs> PD Wax. I'm like, here we go again with this. So Shaka was like, it's up to y'all. We st- I still want to do the deal with y'all, but I'm just being honest to let you know that I'm doing other stuff and you you gotta you know he was like whatever makes makes itself urgent is what I'll do so he was like I got other artists other things so me and Zoe was like we didn't flinch at that because I had already been through that with PD mm-hmm. Wax so right. I was like we don't care we're gonna still take this opportunity mm-hmm. to prove ourselves mm-hmm. so shortly after that we end up signing a contract with Shaka and then you know that's after we signed a contract with DTP and Shaka Zulu that's when the Chingy story comes in okay so how did that come about to where you said what made you want to Take Chingy on versus, you know, let's say three strikes or what? Because maybe he had a situation going on where he didn't know he was kind of in limbo with his own situation and what he was doing. Okay, so here's another divine story with that. So we never planned on signing Chingy. That was mm-hmm. never, I, I will be honest about that. It was never planned. As a matter of fact, me and Zoe really never had plans on signing the artist, period. Mm-hmm. We was more wanting to be like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis mm-hmm. or the Neptunes and stuff like that. We didn't mm-hmm. really care about that at the time. So. Uh, when T Love called us, who was man- uh, Nelly's manager, to uh, to do these beats, uh, let me take that back. So Tony Davis, who's uh, Nelly manager, he calls us like, "Yo, I got this group I'm managing called Three Strikes. Mm. Uh, can you and Zoe do music for them?" And uh, we was like, "Sure, send them over. We'll see what we can do." Because he was like, "Yeah, I want to. I want to get a demo. I want to shop them a deal." So Lil Howard was in that group, right? So they came over to the apartment, and I want to say we end up doing about two or three records. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a session a week later after those two or three songs were recorded. We had a session. Chingy and the groups come at the crib. At the crib, Chingy and the group comes over to the house, to the apartment we was in, and um, me and Zoe and I making a beat or whatever. So we making a beat. We hear this rumbling, like whoa, what's going on? Like somebody breaking in the house. Mm. So I run out the studio and it's Chingy and them. They in their scuffling for the fight. Mm. So uh, from there, you know, I'm like, yo, yo, break this up. What's going on in here? So from that situation to this day, I don't know what spawned the fight. I mm. never even asked them. Mm. So they started beefing and started falling out after that. Mm. So I want to say a week later, Chingy calls me and say, 
you know, the group finna break up, man. I'm like, the group finna break up. Like, what we gonna tell T Love? Like, you supposed to? I'm like, how did that make us look? We supposed to be producing it's a like demo for y'all. It's, it's like it's one thing after another. Right? We gotta call this dude and tell him that y'all broke up. So, so I was like, what you wanna do? And he was like, man, I don't know what to do. So I said, let me sleep on it, and I'll call you in the morning and let you know what I what I think about it. What what, what we can do? So I called him the next morning and I asked him. I said, do you still want to be in the group? He was like, after that situation, I don't want to be in the group no more. I'm going solo. I'm done with the whole situation. So you got to think, in the time that he told me that, we're trying to contact T-Love mm-hmm. to tell him what happened. Mm-hmm. T-Love never returns our call. Mm-hmm. We calling all over the city. We calling Blue. And Blue was this girl that, you know, she did assistant work for Dirty ENT. And we calling her. We calling everybody like, yo, we need to speak with T-Love to let him know that the group broke up. And this situation is out of our hands now. T Love never responds to our call. Mm-hmm. Responds to our calls. Chinky gets frustrated, <laughs> you know, like, and I'm like, yo, I don't know what to tell you, like, so because he was the manager of the group and the other group, so I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I was like, shit, we producers and we signed with DCP, and like, I don't know what to say at this time. So, so I said, check this out. Why don't you go solo? You know, what I'm saying, and just you know, what I'm saying, do your thing like you said you was gonna do. I said, me and Zoe, uh I, I, no, 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 I take it back. I said, I'll call Zoe and see if he may be interested in bringing you in as a solo artist. So I called Zoe and, he, and I was like, what you think about bringing Chingy in as a solo artist? Mm-hmm. And he was like, um, you know, he was like, I'm, I'm open to that. You know what I'm saying? He was like, what they going to do about the group? And I, and I was like, well, they broke up, got into a fight and he don't want to do that no more. So we took Chingy in. This was after weeks and weeks of calling T-Love, mm-hmm. no response. Weeks so, and weeks. Weeks and weeks. And he, he never responded back to us. So I was like, this is what we'll do. We'll bring you in with us. We'll produce you as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll make like four or five records and we'll send him the Shaka, you know what I'm saying, to see mm-hmm. if he may bite on it, the mm-hmm. situation. And um, that's how the whole right third thing came. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay. So, because I, around this time, this was like, um, this was, this was, this was, Maybe September, October 2002. Cause I'll never forget when I came back. Cause I went to LA after I graduated from college. Went out to LA in April of 2002 to visit Jax, and I was out there till like July. And I was working on beats and stuff. And then I came back, and I remember just like being back. But I remember I worked on this little project that I did, and I was like, "Hit you up," and I was like, "Yo, I want you to check out this project I made," and. uh Came by the crib. And this is over at the crib in U City. Yeah. The the apartment. And I never forget when I came in there. I remember you had said, "So we're working on this artist, and these are some of the tracks we've been working on." So I heard the very like first listen before it was mastered. Any of that like right there. Was that uh Chingy? Why y'all so Chingy? Yeah. He played played that, and then I think it was another one. But I remember hearing it, I remember he was like, so what do you think? I was all like, yeah, I mean, it, it had that same kind of sound. Sound, yeah. Like, from hearing the Nina Pop record. Mm-hmm. It was kind of dark, but still bright. Yeah. Kind of vibe to it. I can't really explain it. You know what I mean? A certain mm-hmm. type of sound. Um, so, and i never forget coming over there and, and walking in the crib. And I remember Chingy was up in there, and he was like on the, uh, he was like he was he had a sleeping bag, laying on the floor. He was laying on the floor, and I remember I walked in, and I was like, "What's going on, man?" I said, "Skip," and he was like, "What's up, man?" Howard, you know what I mean? I was like, "All right," and dapped him up, went to the back room, you know what I mean? So this was around that time. So boom, y'all got these records. Now, did you all know or feel 
anything within to say, yo, I think we got something here. And when you all recorded, like when you recorded right there. So that song was recorded in that bedroom. It was recorded in that bedroom. His whole album was recorded in that bedroom. In that bedroom. In that one bedroom. I'm going to be honest about that situation. We didn't, we were just doing records. Mm. We never thought that right there was going to be the hit that it became. Mm. We never thought that. Like, as a matter of fact, we thought we had the songs that was better than right there. Mm. Uh, and we like, yo, this right there is cool. This is cool. But we got records that's better. Which one do you think that was better with those on the album? Um, was that Don't Be Scared? Don't Be Scared. No, that, that kind of came after after, after the situation. But we, we thought that the Chingy, Why Your Eyes right. So Chingy, we thought it was kind of like it had that kind of tough vibe to it. Mm-hmm. It had that West Coast vibe. It had that South vibe a little bit. So we was kind of in more of that direction. Mm-hmm. I, so, think, I, yeah. I think I think maybe it was maybe because it was so much at the hook versus right there it was just well, I can't when you do, do it, it right, right there, there, right there. Yeah, you know, it's just something about the right there <laughs> stood out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the way that the, 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 that the doom, 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 doom. Yeah, doom, doom, doom. You know what I mean? Like the instrumentation. Like I studied it. You know what I mean? And yeah. Like listen, like okay, what? And just the whole, it was just bright, man. It was bright and it was still dark. So you had no idea, no clue. So you sent that to Shaka, mm-hmm. the five, the five song demo, yeah. which was done in an apartment. And what happens? Okay, so uh, uh, we took a, we took a day or two to you know make sure we can get the mixes as best as we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, Package Zoe had all that stuff up in there. Yeah, and that was the yeah, good thing about working with Zoe too, right. is that he, you know, being working at Mars and he all, this stuff, all that stuff. He, he had all, he had all the experience with all the Pro Tools, and mm-hmm. he knew how to mix pretty good. Mm-hmm. So we got the mix as good as we could, and uh, it was Chingy while you are so Chingy. There was two other records. It was right there. And there was two other records on the on the uh, CD we sent Shaka. So we sent Shaka the CD, and it got back to that feeling again. Because, you know, Shaka always played those Jedi mind tricks. You're waiting. The waiting game, the music waiting game. So two, three days passed, me and Zoe looking at each other like, so we get this call from Shaka, and he was like, what y'all doing? We like, we working on some beats. He was like, yo, I'm in I'm in Harlem right now in New York, and I'm in the, uh, I'm in the, uh, in the apartment with my brother Big Jeff. Now, Big Jeff uh, is uh, okay. Shock. The name of Shaka uh, uh, management company was called Ebony Sun Management. Okay. And it was Shaka Zulu and his brother Jeff Dixon. Mm. For a lot of the hip hop fans out there, Jeff Dixon is cousin to Grand Poobah. Mm, yeah, Maxwell Dixon. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying who got the who uh, Jeff was the whole you know set the whole brand Nubian situation. Mm. So him and Jeff was uh, in the office. And they heard right there. And I would never forget because he, you know, they had that New York thing. What's up, man? What's up, yo? What y'all mm-hmm. doing, man? Like, what's up, Ock? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm, he's like, what y'all doing? I'm like, you know, we, we down here, you know, working on music, just, you know, you know, staying creative. Mm-hmm. They, they, was, they was like, yo, who, who was this kid on this record? Uh, at the time, he wasn't Chingy. We was like, uh, Lil Howard, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the right there record. So he was, uh, so, so uh, Shaka was like, uh, since Shaka chimed in, he was like, yo, this, this right there is a, this is a hit. It's a hit record. At the time, me and Zoe like, nah, that's cool. But he like, no, 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 trust me. This right there, this is it. This is it. Mm-hmm. This is the hit record. So um, it was like, uh, he, so he was like, what's this kid's situation? Do he has a, do, he, do we have a deal, mm-hmm. or is he with somebody? He was like, nah, he don't have no paperwork with nobody. So we was honest with Shaka about the T Love situation. Mm-hmm. We was like, the dude basically just disappeared, and we just let him live with us and took him, took you mm-hmm. know, took him under our wing. Y'all hear that? Yeah. He lived with y'all. He lived with us. 
Yeah. And y'all just worked on the album. Yeah, just on the, sleeping on the floor, eating ramen noodles every day. Wow. And, and so <laughs> in that five, that five. So how long was how long were you all living in that crib? To all three of you all. I want to say collectively, all of us together, we was there for probably about. I want to say maybe a year and a half together. Wow. Yeah, almost two years. Yeah, we yeah about a year and a half. It was for a minute. Wow. Okay. So then he's like, oh, this he's like, this is a hit. Yep. And then what? Okay. So after he was like, you know, this is a hit record, such such such. He was like, what's the situation? So we had to explain the situation. And he was like, so cool. This kid is in the clear to go. So we was like, yeah. So Shaka was like, okay, this is what we'll do. Uh, he was like, uh, I, w- I want y'all to get the record remixed. Um, uh, you know, saying uh, mix it over, make, mix it better. Which what's funny is Russ, who end up who mixed uh, Nina Pop, mm-hmm. had mixed the first version of Right There. Mm-hmm. So Shaka was like, uh, get the mech, get the record mix, and we are gonna take like ten to fifteen k, and we finna um, get this get, get the record into the That's hands like of the DJ. Te- like some test presses. Yeah, because like you know back then it, at that time it took about fifteen thousand to break a record. Mm-hmm. So they 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 took fifteen k of their own money. Uh, we got the record mix and. Um, they started to, you know, move the record around independently. Who, who, who mixed it, the, that version that was being on the test presses, moved around independently? Who mixed that record? Okay, his name was Russ Gerard, mm-hmm. and Russ was the same person. Oh, he went back and he did it? Oh, yeah, okay, he, okay. yeah, he was, uh, Russ was the same one that mixed Nina Pop. Yeah. It's the same engineer. So he went back and did, and remixed it, like, even better. Yeah, than what we did. Okay, okay, okay. So and, you all mixed that version first. Yeah. Then he went and mixed. Okay. So the version that people are hearing is the version he mixed. Nah, that's oh. what that's what the story turns. Okay. Like, so okay. it was mixed three times. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it was mixed by me and Zoe. It was mixed by Russ, and it was mixed by Wasim Zurich that Capitol Records hired. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was sent around the version that Russ mixed. It was sent around test presses. What happened then? Okay. So. Um, so after uh now this was back in the day before you just put a song on SoundCloud and just see what happens. You had a people was putting in investing money in <laughs> yeah. this and the third, running it around in different markets, seeing what happened, how the DJs are responding. So this was in two thousand late two thousand two. Yeah. Early two thousand three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so sixteen years ago. So. Yeah, a long time ago. So so with Shaka, um when they when they pressed up the record uh, they played the DJ game, you know. Saying for the youngsters, how it would work back then is that you would get ten to fifteen thousand. You would press the record up, and you would pay DJs and pay play uh, different people to get it played. So they took the record around, um, you know, different states. And you know, if people forget too that Shaka Zulu and Ludacris were DJ, per- they were radio personalities. Right. So they already had relationships relationships in that music world. Mm-hmm. So Shaka took his music relationships and spread it the record around. So, um, wh- how we got our big break for me, in my opinion, was Jermaine Dupree. Mm. Jermaine Dupree was the first person that broke right there. Mm. He, uh, Jermaine Dupree had a radio sh- uh, station in Atlanta and he played, he played it and it just went crazy. And he was like, he got a bunch of calls. People started calling to the station like, yo, what's this right there record? And then once they started hitting the, the station, Jermaine started playing it more and more. Mm. So I got to really credit Atlanta. Mm was really the ones that broke right there. A lot of people don't know that. Mm. They broke it to mm. Rain Dupree. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't broke here. It was broke there. So when it was broke there, it was like, whoa. Yeah, when Jermaine stamped it, it was like, yo, this is this next record out of St. Louis. That's when everybody took to it and it just exploded from there. Wow. Yeah. So at this particular time, was the album done? Um, No, we wasn't done with the album. I, I want to say we was probably in that same kind of whole nine situation where we was probably about 60... 
to 70% there. Okay. Yeah. So, um, after that, you're going back in. So, at, at this at this moment, now you're getting the momentum going of the success of that record starting to build. Now you're, like, fueling that into the next records. Is that how the record, like, Holiday Inn came about? Because now it's like, okay, Snoop was hearing about this guy and this, that, and the third. So, now you got, and then DJ Quick. And is that how all that came about to where now these other songs that you got feature artists and quick production on a record. Is that how that all came about? What's funny about that is that the Snoop Dogg and the DJ Quick situation really had nothing to do with Right There. Mm. Uh, so when Right There started getting hot and, you know, once Jermaine Dupree broke it, uh, that's when we started stepping our game up. We like, yo, we got to get this album done because the song is, you know, spreading around and they're going to be looking for us for an album soon or, you know, other songs once he get a situation. Mm. So once the song starts, that's right, because he wasn't signed with DTP yet. Nah, he, he still wasn't mm-hmm. signed yet, you know, officially. So, uh, so me and Zo ran back in the lab, and we got with Lil Howard like, "Yo, let's we, we got let's get these songs knocked out, because you know after this, you know what's going to happen next. You're mm-hmm. going to be asking for more songs." So we went in and knocked out probably about forty songs. Forty? Yeah, literally. Me and Zo like to this day we got like forty to maybe over fifty unreleased records <laughs> of, of that of that era. Yeah, we got busy. Like we see, we smell blood. So we like. We didn't sleep, so we stayed up every night just cutting and cutting. For and, cutting. Real? and that's how, um, that's how Holiday Inn, One Call Away, and all of that oh, came yeah, into play. Yeah, yeah. That you was know? after. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that was in the. We, we we came up with One Call Away and Holiday Inn right in the mix to that mm. that rush of working on the uh, records. Wow, yeah. wow. So what? I mean, there's people out there right now that would love to hear those those records that was that never, you know, what I'm saying that never yeah. got released. Hopefully, they can get you know released one day. And we actually thinking about that. Yeah, we just, we just might just do an unreleased. Yeah. Uh, Spotify. Yeah. You know things. Yeah. Like that. yeah. I think that'll be that'll be huge. So why weren't those records on the actual album? Well, we uh, I remember we we flew to Atlanta and uh, we met with DCP. And uh, we sat with Shock and them in the DTP office, and we played the records. Had all the records. Yeah, and it was one of them, you know, just narrowing down processes. Mm-hmm. We had to, you know, see, uh, you know, which songs were the strongest, which were the weakest. Mm-hmm. So the songs that made it on the Jackpot album was the ones that we felt were the strongest, and the rest we set to the side. Which actually, some of those songs we end up still using later, mm-hmm. like for soundtracks and mm-hmm. other things that came, you know, into play as mm-hmm. time went on. Mm-hmm. So. Did you ever in your mind ever think that something like this would happen? I mean, the fact that, you know, this artist, you all were in the, you know, up under the same roof and then the album goes. Well, I do remember when you had mentioned, you said you had played, a, you had showed me this video of him performing. And you said, I guarantee you he's going to go triple platinum. <laughs> I remember that. And the album ended up going triple platinum. Yeah. So how did that feel to, you know, the album came out, you know what I'm saying? It's this big thing and vintage vinyl and everybody's just like what the hell I mean this is the first success this is the not the first success but to where it's like wow this is international you know what I mean how did that feel in your spirit in your heart in your in your mind just where did it all you know kind of come full circle for you thinking about back in the day when you hearing your dad playing Temptations and hearing you know your first time hearing the Rock Him record and you know what I'm saying? Even to the point of, you know, the whole out of order situation to the whole nine, all of that. I mean, here here it is. You know what I mean? How did that feel coming full circle in in in, in the success of that that you come about? You I, did you realize at that moment that God is real, of course, but that anything you put your heart and your mind to, and if the divine of everything is in sync with 
your spirit, certain things just kind of happen. Is that where in your mind you begin to kind of change um, in a sense? You know, of course, there's other things that can come about to where you can kind of veer off into other, you know, dark sides of your life. But yeah. in the was that the moment that that became the basis and the foundation of where you are today? Realizing that moment, kind of like when Eminem said, uh, what's it back then? Uh, you only got one shot to blow. Yeah. A chance. <laughs> You know what I mean? So just lose yourself. So that this particular this came like that point to where now anything in your life you can always say, yeah, well that happened before Chingy blew up. You know what I mean? To yeah. where something happened, all you that happened after Chingy blew up. It was like that was like a moment in your life, a stamp, where at this point in time, you're not the same sham that you were, you know what I'm saying, in 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 the days before this. You know what I mean? So how did that affect you? How did that make you feel as a person? You know what I mean? How was that whole feeling? Because some people out there, they like, man, what did that feel like? You know what I'm saying? So how did that feel like for you in that situation? Well, at first it was just kind of like, you know, it, it's funny because it, it taught me the it, it taught me the understanding of the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. Because if you look back at my past, none of really of anything I've ever done was planned. It just it just seemed like things fell into place and mm -hmm. just fell into place and fell into place. So for me, I never really got a chance to experience all the way like like wow because it was just like one divine thing leads to another divine thing mm -hmm. and it was things just coming. Mm -hmm. And it what it almost almost felt like to me it was like a path had already been laid mm -hmm. and I was just walking in a path. So mm -hmm. you never really get a chance to be like damn like wow or mm -hmm. because it's just things are just lining up like you were saying mm -hmm. divinely to happen. Mm -hmm. So. I didn't really start realizing and start looking back at everything into Shaka, uh, you know, he, he uh, texted us one day and we was walking, we was walking in the Galleria, mm -hmm. we was going shopping and he was like, congratulations, Jackpot is officially at a million records sold. Mm -hmm. It didn't kick in to me to that day mm -hmm. because you got to remember me and Zoe was only expecting it to go gold or we was happy with it selling three or 400,000 records mm -hmm. and just building from there. We never, you know, was like, you know, in my heart, like I told you, I kind of felt it and knew it. Mm -hmm. But if if it didn't happen for some reason, we was okay with building. Mm -hmm. But even before that, in my being, in my spirit, I don't know how. I just kind of felt mm -hmm. and kind of knew mm -hmm. that I was walking on the divine path that was laid. And mm -hmm. I think that's how I, I even came in sync with predicting that happening. Mm -hmm. Tapping into that back then, not even knowing mm -hmm. about the power of the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. So the whole situation showed me to this day that the subconscious mind is real and everybody has a path. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you just, you walk on this path that's already aligned for you. Mm -hmm. For these things to happen, it's already there. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? We didn't really try to do this or try mm -hmm. to do that or try to do this. Things just fell into what we divinely were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. You know how people are like, yo, I got this artist and we finna get this deal. And yeah. mm -hmm. nothing never happened like that for mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. It was things was just there and we just walked into the mm -hmm. path. So once it, once Shaka hit us up and was like, Chingy is officially at a million copies sold. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. That's when I was like, okay, this is real. Right. <laughs> and the album ended up going. It was number one in the country. Number one in the country, and it sold yeah. how many at, to this day? To this to this time, that's like, like five or six million or something like that worldwide. Million. Like, and yeah. he's still touring and still performing that record to this day. Those records to this day. He, he's as a matter of fact, he's on tour right now with B2K. <laughs> Hey, you know what I'm saying? That's that's how you know it's divine. And I'm and I'm gonna tell you this real quick before we get too far. Mm -hmm. 
I'll tell you a funny story real quick about right there. That, and I know if shocking them or somebody hear this, I mean, it's too late now, whatever happened. We never told them about this. Mm. So you get the first exclusive with this. Mm. So when we, so Russ Gerard mixed the first, the real clear version of right there, the one that Jermaine Dupree broke. Mm. So when we signed the Capitol Records, when DTP got to deal with Capitol, um, Wendy, she was like, you know, Wendy Goldstein was over, she was the VP up there. She was behind Wu-Tang, Common Sense, a lot of people. Mm. So Wendy was like, yeah, this record is, is the, the, the mix is cool, but it could be a little better. Mm. We actually tried to fight against that, but she, they, wasn't, they wasn't going for it. Mm. So they brought another engineer in to mix the record, you know what I'm saying? So we probably about a week into mixing the record and uh, we finally get it done. So uh, we had to we had to go we took all the files. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we did this, but me and so took the hard drive mm-hmm. and everything. Lost the damn session. Mm-hmm. Right when Capital was gonna do this million dollar release mm-hmm. on this record, mm-hmm. we lost the record. Mm-hmm. Me and Zo scramble. We looking and we panicking. We looking around like, yo, what the hell are we gonna tell shocking them? They got millions of dollars ready for this campaign. Mm-hmm. We don't got no beat, no song, no song, no nothing, no nothing. You got the older version. Yeah, we got everything. We, mm. we still got, we, we had all the stuff backed up back in St. Louis. Mm. We had to fly back to St. Louis. Mm. <laughs> had to make right there the beat over from scratch. You had to make the beat over? Over from scratch. <laughs> you getting exclusive on us. We never told uh, nobody. Uh. We kept this secret to this day. <laughs> we flew back to St. Louis. Go back into the studio. We got to get Chingy vocals again. <laughs> Y'all got the original vote. Oh, and that's why at the end he was like, Chingy, track stars. Yeah. Because, so on the original, he didn't say that. Right. Wow. So, so hold on a minute. So this is the same session file, the same vocal, or he or he re-recorded the vocals? No, I think we just had him say it in there. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so we lose the session, so we get back in there. So we have to find the drums, mm. find the bass line. Wow. Find all the sounds that we use, and we did it over. Did so, it over. We did the whole beast from scratch over, and we flew back to to, to L.A., rushed it in, and gave the engineer that session. <laughs> so he didn't even really know, you know what I'm saying, like, what was going on. So we adjusted the levels kind of where he led them and just did the best we could. Uh-huh. So here's where the story gets more bizarre. So the song comes out. It still goes number one in the country. It mm-hmm. still does everything. So three years later, I'm going to say three and, three and a half years later, we cleaning up uh, uh, a loft we had. We bought a loft and mm-hmm. we cleaned up the loft. Mm-hmm. I find a damn uh, the disc right there, disc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, man, like oh, we we tore up the room for this damn disc. We couldn't find it of the, the of the original session. Original session. So I find the disc. I'm like, yo, Zo, like where <laughs> the disc is. Uh-huh. So we popped the disc in. It didn't sound nothing like <laughs> the, the version that got released. Right. And that was the version. So it, it sounded nothing like. Nothing. This sound did it sound better? To me it did. That that was the that was the another ver- blessing. The, the version this version that you all went and did sounded better than the actual version that was on that. On the on the vinyl that was pressed. Yeah, it did. because uh, we we got to beef the sounds up a little bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause we you know we had a little bit more money at the time, so mm-hmm. we you know had better equipment, so mm-hmm. we was able to beef the sounds up. Uh we was able to arrange a little bit better. But if you go back and listen to the bass line that I played mm-hmm. on the original right mm-hmm. there, it sounded nothing like the original one I did. Really? Because I was drunk. You know, you got to remember, like, I was I was stone drunk. I went in the room, got on the on the keyboard, got on the drum machine. Boom. 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 Doom. Mm-hmm. Doom. 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 Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? And uh, that was when you re- that's when you went back and did it. No, nah, that was the first time okay, I did it. I was drunk. Okay, okay. So I didn't even remember how I played the bass line because mm. when, when I was in there trying to play it, Zoe was like, "You don't remember?" I'm like, "I do, but not really," because I was I did I was so drunk I was just doing. Something. And y'all just hurrying up and making this beat real quick. Yeah, we just it took us about 30 minutes and we put it together. <laughs> and the reason it took us so long because we had to piece everything piece by wow. piece or whatever. So, but Capital nobody never knew that to this day. Because it comes on as this. <laughs> and the wow. bass line that I played on the original was nothing like the original one I did. <laughs> yeah. But you know what's so crazy? Is that for the people who never heard never heard that, this to them is is, is the one. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So so the version that is actually out now worldwide isn't the original version that was, you know what I'm saying, supposed to come out. Right, but absolutely. But the vocals are original. Yeah, original. The vocals. But then that's why at the end he 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 he, he threw up in there. She <laughs> Track stars. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, and that goes back to what we were saying about the subconscious mind is that whenever something meant, it's just meant because mm. even though we lost that session and played it over, it still went number one in the country. Mm. It still did what it did. Nothing ever, nobody ever knew anything. Mm. Even though I played it slightly different, mm. it didn't really alter anything or change anything. It, it's like everything was still in play, almost like it was meant to happen. Mm. Because when we listened back to the old one, it wasn't nowhere near better than. So I always think like, Maybe if that one would have came out, then it may not have hit as hard as the one we did. So, and that's how the divine work. Like, even if you get off course, it'll you will get back on that path. It'll lock you in. It'll lock you back in. So, uh, so yeah, nobody. That's the first exclusive. We never told that story. Wow. Well, y'all heard it first on Lounge with Skip podcast. You feel me? <laughs> so, just to wrap everything up, um, with that success, it just it led on to you working with Britney Spears and yeah. uh, what Britney Spears and Madonna, um, Ludacris. The, um, ding, 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 ding. You know the Raphael Sadiq. Yeah, that whole thing. Uh, uh, what other projects were you were you working on? Man, there was so many. Man, we were just locked in. I mean, some of the noticeable ones was like I said, the, the Britney Spears of Madonna. Mm-hmm. We helped arrange in, in some of the Usher confession stuff. Mm-hmm. We did um, uh, Ludacris, uh, mainly mainly all the Ludacris projects, Chicken and Beer. Mm-hmm. We actually won the Grammy for the Release Therapy album. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say after we left Shaka and Jeff. That's uh, because, you know, it just, everything had went haywire at that time. Yeah. And they was moving in a different direction we were. So we changed management companies. We started uh, being managed by uh, Larry Rudolph, who has a company called Reindeer Entertainment. Okay. And that's Britney Spears' manager, him and Adam Lieber. So Larry and, uh, and Adam uh, managed me as Zofa, I want to say, about two or three years after that. And from there, we just started working on a bunch of projects. The Larry and Adam thing is how the Britney Spears and Madonna came into play. Okay. And everything else that we did... Uh, from Capitol Records and was pretty much on our own watch. At that time, we was kind of separated from Shaka and BCP. Um, uh, Houston, uh, we did uh, oh, yeah, yeah, we did the Houston record. I like that. Right, right, right. That's notoriously known for stabbing his eye out. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we did that, and uh, from there, we just started working with a host of artists: Tony Braxton, um, like I said, Ludacris, Usher, Britney Spears. Uh, we end up working back with Nelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the list all gone. It's just been a bunch of people we got, you know, connected with. So, so for anybody out there that you know listening to this podcast, to this episode, you know, what is something that you can tell them to inspire them to keep going, um, you know, and, and to, to to stay, you know, just something to keep a foundation going for them to keep them moving forward in their journey. What's something that you can tell for any upcoming producer out there right now listening to us? Okay, what I've learned about the. Uh, from what I've learned about the subconscious mind and spirituality over the years is that what I would tell anybody is 
to keep going. Because the more you think about it, the more you obsess about it, the more you want it, the more you start to create the reality around you. A lot of people don't know that. Like even, And it can go both ways because it could be bad or good. If you're a person that's in the hood, smoking, drinking, and gangs, and all that stuff, like you creating that reality as well. So it can work both ways for you. But if you keep obsessing about the idea, you keep going, you keep trying, you don't stop, eventually some door is going to open. And something, you know saying, that your subconscious mind will create that reality around you. So I tell people all the time, don't ever get discouraged because if you look at my journey coming up, a lot of things didn't work. Uh, out of order didn't work. Chaos didn't work. But through each of those situations, birth is something out of the experience. So I always look back and say, if I would have stopped, if I would have just got discouraged because chaos doesn't get a deal, or because out of order didn't work, then none of that stuff would have ever manifested. So I tell any artist, any uh, producer, I don't care who you are, what you're doing, to keep going. Because we as creators create this reality with our thoughts. And whatever you think and you obsess and you keep thinking about over and over and over again, you're creating that reality. So I didn't even realize as a young kid when I was doing this, I was so obsessed with the music yeah. that I was creating all that. Right. When I told you that, man, I'm going to sell three million records, mm -hmm. I was creating that reality. Mm -hmm. So the path is already laid for you and the thoughts and everything is already within you. And by you thinking and playing those thoughts you out, have to walk it. you have to walk it and then you open up the doors to create that reality. The doors begin to open right. And more. that's where most people blow their opportunities because they get discouraged and they quit. And you never even give yourself a chance to create the reality. And once you quit, your, your attention goes somewhere else. And then you start building another reality. Mm -hmm. Because your subconscious mind, it only does what you tell it to do. Mm -hmm. So if, if you tell it music, 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 that's what it's going to give you. If you tell it this, 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 that's what you're going to become. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of the law of attraction mm -hmm. and the subconscious mind. And, and it, what's funny is I was actually practicing it back then. And I didn't even know about the subconscious mind and the power of the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would tell anybody. That stuff is real. What you think will come. It will happen. So are you work with any uh, artists now? Um, well, you know, for a minute I stepped away. You know, went on my spiritual hiatus, and now you know I'm back. So right now I'm working with Fresco Kane, and I know you know Fresco got a relationship with him, mm -hmm. formerly known as Jenna. You know, most people know him as Jenna from here back in the days. But um, me and him got together, and uh, you know it's been crazy. And uh, from there. Uh, my brother Calvin Meeks and I want to clear that up too you know what I'm saying so I'm still cool with Zoe mm -hmm. we still do work together we still you know do business but we're not the track stars anymore mm -hmm. he's he's actually going to help with this fresco project because it's a uh, it's a record that we produce with Static Major mm -hmm. who we who also I didn't name that we did a lot of work with Static mm -hmm. rest in peace. yeah so rest in peace my brother Static so uh, Fresco, uh, we're about to do a song with some of static vocals that we had from mm -hmm. sessions that we had previously mm -hmm. and gonna put it on Fresco's new album. Mm -hmm. So right now, um, our focus is the Fresco project. Okay. So right now, it's not the track stars, but it's Interstellar Music. Mm -hmm. It's our new alter ego. Mm -hmm. And it's me and then my brother Calvin Meeks. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we doing most of the music. And then we got a guitar player that we work with, Edmund Darris, we call him OG. Okay. He kind of comes in and you know, he's like a part of the brain of mm -hmm. all of us working together. Mm -hmm. So right now, that's what we're focusing on right now, the Fresco Project. Right. But from the Fresco Projects, now we're getting calls from majors and other people because they're hearing we're back working. Mm. So now the phone is starting to ring again and, mm -hmm. you know, it's all coming back. So. Yeah. Hey, brother. Well, I appreciate, man, you know what I'm saying, uh, being able to sit and lounge with me, you know what I mean, on this episode, man. You know, I was... 
you know, I'm out here in St. Louis right now. Um, and I was just thinking, I was like, you know something, I got to kick off the year right, you know what I mean? So why not come come through and holler at you and, and, and to rap with you and just to hear your story because it's been one of importance and that those out there in the world that need to hear something like this, you know what I'm saying? People hear, they, they see the artists in the front but not knowing what goes on behind the scenes that makes this particular situation work. So for everybody out there that, you know, fell in love with the Right There record, this is the man right here that, you know, made the, made the record, you know what I'm saying? One half of the production duo, Track Stars, that made that record. And he just explained what went on behind the scenes and what got him to that point. So never give up, never uh, let yourself down, keep focused, keep moving forward, keep the subconscious mind in a positive direction, and you shall and see um, and witness, you know what I'm saying, enlightenment within yourself, and others will uh, witness it and see it as well. So I appreciate you, my dude. Right on, man. And, and once again, this is this is my brother, Skip. We go way back. Yes, sir. And it's an honor, you know, being on the show, man. I, I appreciate this, able to break the story because we haven't really told this story. So this actually is the first time even really telling the story. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it's an honor, man. I'm thankful that we can build from here. And, uh, so. And I wish you in, wish you in your podcast much success. Definitely, I appreciate it. Yeah. And for every, so can people reach out? You got a uh, Instagram or you know this that, and the third, an email or whatnot? Uh, yeah, they can they can go to uh, you. you you can uh, hit me on Instagram. It's uh at Shamar that's spelled S H A M A R Starchild, and that's all together. So it's Shamar Starchild, and that's my Instagram page. And then my Facebook page is Shamar Track Stars Darty. You know what I'm saying? And um. And then the email is sham, that's S-H-A-M-T-R-A-K-S-T-A-R-Z uh, at gmail.com. And then we have another one, and it's, that's Interstellar, that's uh, I-N-T, well, I'm, I'm tripping, so help me out. <laughs> In, interstellar. <laughs> yeah. if, 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 they, if they have the IG, all they got to do is hit Yeah, 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 you know yeah. Don't even get me into spelling all yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You know how you be spelling underscore, yeah, type, yeah, inner, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, just just go to my Instagram, and that'll link you to everything you need to find about me. Because our Wikipedia is on there and all the information. Just DM yeah. me. And I'll make sure I put it in the description for everybody out there that wants to, uh, you know, reach out and contact them and, and whatnot. Yeah. So, until next time, I want to thank y'all for listening. And until next time, peace. Peace.